0: Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, there's a robust community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth, for Foxworth Fridays. That's The Right Time with Bomani Jones on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and on ESPN's YouTube channel. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me.
1: Hey, I'm Sarah Thomas, and my dilemma is I have been wearing Lululemon pants far too long, and I tried to put on a pair of white skinny jeans and I was able to snap them but it gave me the realization that I need to hit the gym a little harder.
0: Okay first of all girl you look good and more importantly our bodies just being healthy and keeping us alive and moving and functioning during everything we've experienced the last few years I think should be celebrated even if the aesthetics aren't exactly what we would like them to be. Now, that being said, if you got some work to do on the waistline while you work your way back, just embrace the Lululemons. Athleisure is in, baby. It's comfortable and it's stylish. Just pair those pants with some J's, put on a bomber jacket, and I think you're probably looking even better than when you're wearing white jeans. So it's a good time for this. It's a totally fine time for this. Uh, I think the key to getting by while you're getting back to that pre-pandemic shape is just the magical two words, elastic waistline. Just embrace it just embrace it. That's what she said. What's up, everybody? Welcome into That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. I will first address my party voice. Uh, I know I just had party voice after the Super Bowl, and here I am again. And I thought I was maturing. As it turns out, no. Uh, I'm in Arizona and had an awesome weekend with my friends from uh, Sloan Valve Company hosting their opening day tailgate uh, for an opening day baseball game that did not happen. But we managed to have some fun. We played some. Target Golf on the field, Sloan Park out in uh, Mesa, Arizona. I did some wine tasting, went to an incredible music festival, Innings Fest. And uh, I guess I tried to out sing Dave Grohl is what happened. And that's uh, that's why my voice sounds like this. Uh, but we got our faces rocked off by uh, the Foo Fighters and Camp and Dashboard and Fits in the Tantrums and St. Vincent and uh, War on Drugs and so many other awesome bands. And it was such a good time. But um, yeah, I got I to gotta stop yelling so much. I got to stop doing that. Um, you guys are going to love this podcast today. I have such a girl crush on my guest and we have such a sort of simpatico back and forth. Like as soon as we met and started talking um, online first and then in person when we ran into each other, um, it just felt like... This, this woman is someone that I want to keep championing, and I was so excited to get to learn more of her story. Sarah Thomas, she's an NFL official, first woman to officiate a major college football game, the first to officiate a bowl game, the first to officiate in a Big Ten stadium. And on April 8th, 2015, she was hired as the first full-time female official in NFL history. Not only that, but she had the honor of being the first woman to officiate a Super Bowl in 2021. Uh, Just incredible. That's merit-based on how you've fared as an official throughout the season. So really incredible stuff. And I loved talking to her. Just, uh, I think you're going to learn a lot about uh, her approach to getting started, proving herself, and then thriving. Enjoy the interview.
1: That's what she said.
0: I'm so excited for our next guest. Been trying to get her on the pod for quite some time. Of course, had to wait for the football season to end. So she had a little bit more free time uh, and was inspired to follow up yet again when we got to actually meet in person completely randomly at a bar in Wrigleyville. Sarah Thomas, the groundbreaking official for the NFL. um, You just heard all the accolades. But when I met you, you were just like me you were i i I was there for a for a heckler event through my husband and you were on uh a very unique pub crawl of sorts i would say right Um, i was and uh we could see eye to eye uh you're tall and and we were uh we were we were hitting it off right away so i'm so glad we actually get to to chat and i can dive into a little bit more of your background um let's start way back when i don't even know how to pronounce where you're from in mississippi how do you
1: (laughs) say that yeah, it's Pascagoula. Pascagoula, but we always, gula, we City. always, yeah, we always refer to it as the Gula, The Gula. Okay. So tell me about the Gula. small, big. Oh, it's, it's small, <laughs> very Southern, blue collar. Um, it's just, uh, you know, there's shipyards there, some industries there. I was uh, just, I, I went back not too long ago and I'm sitting in Bozo's. It's a fabulous seafood restaurant. You can pick up live bait if you wanna go fishing or you can get the best gumbo in the world from bozos. And I was just like, you see the attorney walk in, you see the preacher walk in, you see the, the fisherman walk in. It's just, I'm so blessed to have been raised where I was raised and it's it's really small. Everybody knows everybody, but um, just blue collar, tough working, hard grit people. Yeah, were you into sports? Was your family into sports from the beginning? Oh, Gosh, Sarah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm so fortunate for that. I tell everybody just whatever season it was, that's what we were either playing or watching. And the lineage of not just, you know, that I have with my family in sports. Literally, my, my dad's brother was drafted out of high school to go and play baseball for Pittsburgh Pirates. My mom's oldest sister, so instrumental in, in just where I am today um she played basketball scored 63 points in a game couldn't play the fourth quarter and then she was the first uh head coach to win a women's ncaa title in 1971 at the w uh, which is in columbus mississippi and then that granted her the honor to coach the u.s world team in 1973 that went to moscow russia and pat summit was one of her players also dot easterwood murphy was one of her players who is um, was a, a football coach. Actually, she was the first woman to ever coach football at the collegiate level.
0: Wow, that's so yeah. cool. Okay, so um, was it
1: clear early on? Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And I pick at my my older brother. He was average at best. <laughs> I, you know, I pick at him. Um, my baby brother. He was he was a good athlete. I hurt his shoulder. Um, playing football and couldn't continue his career. But yeah, we, we just, I mean, you know, the the dirt bikes, football in the front yard, basketball, whatever. But we yeah. just, we all play sports.
0: So was it clear from a young age in your family that you were going to be included and you were as much of an athlete and as much of a part of sports, or did that take
1: some doing? No, I, as soon as I could pick up a ball or a bat or do something that my older brother was doing, I just have always been involved in sports. I think I started playing softball at the age of five, which softball was my love. I loved playing softball, fast pitch, but basketball is what paid my career, you know, my my college tuition.
0: Yeah, I saw that you lettered five times in softball. First student ever to do so at the Gula High School. Um, But you ended up going to University of Mobile on a basketball scholarship. was there any was there any choice there? Of well, I could go somewhere else and play softball, but but this is where the full ride is. Or what was the choice?
1: I was getting more attention playing basketball, and of course, in the South, uh, my my boys are going through this right now, being recruited, and it's like, are you going to an SEC school, State, mm-hmm. Ole Miss, uh, Southern, uh, Conference USA? Maybe no longer. But, um, you know, everybody was like D1, D1, D1. Well, being 511, I played center in high school and I couldn't Mm -hmm. dribble the basketball. Ditto. Right. (laughs) I wish they had worked on our ball handling like eventually that's not tall. Right. (laughs) And my parents just, you know, they were educators. They didn't have the money to send me off to camps. So I was um, just getting the attention from your smaller schools. I could walk on at state or maybe split a scholarship at Ole Miss. But I uh, ended up going to Mobile. And while I was at Mobile, they did ask me to come and pitch. But I did want to have some type of life. Right. You know, I mean, basketball, you just it's its like football officiating. I mean, it's, it's your life.
0: Yeah. So you're a badass athlete. Uh, what are you studying at University of Mobile? What do you think
1: you want to do for work at the time? I uh, had always wanted to be an attorney, but. Uh, They didn't offer that at the University of Mobile. And being an athlete, I kind of took an easy street, I thought. Um, I I majored Mm -hmm. in communications Mm -hmm. and uh, emphasis in PR and broadcast. But I didn't want to have to go to a basketball game or a a sporting event and have to meet that deadline that night. Um, And so I did go into the legal field, became a paralegal and then, um, you know, I guess ended up in pharmaceutical sales. But no, I, I kind—I thought that communications was an easier degree for me to do um, while I was playing sports. When you got into the paralegal stuff,
0: was there still a desire to go to law school and become a lawyer?
1: Yeah, and I, I towed the line. I, I really wanted to be a prosecutor, um, but I kind of towed the line with the death penalty. So I said, mm-hmm. uh, mm, can't do that. But um, I, I just loved it. I mean, it was all kind of, you know, I worked in um, the asbestos realm and the tobacco realm. And so it was It was really neat. So you leave that to get into pharmaceutical
0: sales. Was that just uh, an opportunity and money or was it uh, you were done with the legal world?
1: So here I was officiating basketball. Uh, the oh, you upward, already were, okay. Uh, upward Basketball League, yeah. And uh, a guy that I'd known for a couple of years, he and another guy were talking and um, I said, do you do pharma too? And my buddy said, "He's." you know, the boss, he hires and fires. I said, were you looking for anybody? Mm -hmm. I said, I didn't even know that people would move across the country to get this type of job. Right. And so I said, I don't have any experience in sales except for I was the top Girl Scout, you know, cookie seller one year. And uh, when it comes to medical, I did medical records at the law firm. But lo and behold, about two months later, he came up to me and asked me, was I serious about it? And I said, sure. And that's how I got started in pharma. And how long did you work there? 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so that was like your career. Like you thought yeah, it, that was going to be the thing. That's right. And it it can become volatile in, with layoffs yeah. and territories dissolving. And my last uh, layoff, I was working a Thursday night game in Pittsburgh. And I got the news in my hotel that uh, our territory was being dissolved. And I just I just took a step back and I said, I'm going to stop doing this rat race. I mean, my kids and I might not be able to go on extravagant vacations, but I just I just said if something falls in my lap, I'll get into it. But I, I took a step back. Interesting. OK, so basketball was the first thing that you officiated. Then tell me how you got started with that. Well, actually, it was football. It was I mean, I was um, I didn't have any kids at the time, not married, and I uh, had been kicked out of a men's church league yeah, let's pause, yeah. Let's, let's pause on that yes
0: let's pause on because i heard about this on sam rapaport's podcast earning it friend of the pod who we love um yes. and you told this story that you were playing in it for three years before they all of a sudden decided uh eh, we don't want a girl around
1: i i it blew my mind I, you know i've played basketball and i played with some dirty girls and i you know i always love playing with the guys pickup ball and that year there were these brothers, they were twins and I don't remember who they are, but I guarantee you they remember who I am, but <laughs> they were just, they were dirty. They would try to, you know, elbow me, trip me. And to the point, my brothers never took up for me, but they really wanted to mm-hmm. uh, go in and do something to him. I was like, no, just keep giving me the ball. I'll post them up. And lo and behold, they, uh, they brought up that they didn't think I should be playing in a men's league. So a guy came to me a couple of nights after this vote, that the league had without our team having a vote and said, Sarah, hey, I'm really sorry about what happened last night. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 23. I was by myself last night. I don't know what you're apologizing for. Right. And he just said, you really don't know, do you? And I was like, no. He said, they kicked you out of the league. I said, well, did we have a vote? And so we had a revote and it came down to a tie. And the preacher asked him, like, why don't you want her in the league? And he said, well, when she posts us up, it just feels funny. And
0: then oh, I just told
1: him, I know, I told him, I said, you know what, as fast paced of a game as basketball is, if you get some type of sexual sensation out of it, you don't need to be playing either. And so <laughs> I tell everybody, as you can imagine, I say sexual sensation in a Baptist yeah. gymnasium, I'm toast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, so
1: a, a couple of months later, I'm on the phone with my older brother and I just asked him what he was doing that night. And he said he was going to a football officials meeting and. Can girls do that? I guess so, sis. Be there at six. Don't be late. And so awesome. I started officiating football, but the uh, the supervisor of officials here in the state, he didn't really know what to do about it. And so he said, don't you want to try basketball? And I did for about three years. I uh, officiated basketball on top of officiating football. And I just didn't have the passion for it. It wasn't enough of a challenge. I wanted to coach the girls or the players more than I wanted to officiate. So I just, Mm. I just stepped away from it. It's only a kick, a jump,
0: a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle,
1: a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So let's go back to that Gulf Coast Football Officials Association meeting. You show up, it's 1996, and you're there with your brother. And I love that the guy running the meeting thought you were someone's wife checking to see if he had <laughs> yes. lied about where he was that night. That's just yes. like all of these things are so cliche if they made a movie about it and you're talking to a preacher about, you know, rubbing on some dudes in the post, that's going to get in there. You know, some guy thinking that you're you're trying to hound your husband at the meeting, that's going to get in there. Um, I mean, that's, that's wild, but was there any pushback to you showing up? And
1: I presume you were the only woman who did show up. I was the only woman and thank God for George Nash. That was the gentleman at the front and he he said, yes, there were some of the guys that were like, what is she doing here? What is this about? But he said, let me just tell you something. He goes, she's younger than any of us. She's definitely in better shape than any of us. And her eyesight's got to be better than ours. So why wouldn't we allow her? So thank God for him. And he didn't, oh gosh, cut me any slight, which I love. You know, Sarah, that's, I, yeah. I, just, I, I never thought my gender should keep me from doing something. And, and he didn't either. And so he's been a huge mentor to me. So, you know, for those keeping track, that's
0: 26 years ago that you walk into a meeting and you say, this is what I want to do. So for those who ever think anything is overnight or a quota, I mean, the work that goes into this and the time. So you you prove yourself in those meetings um, and it's 10 years later where you get invited to Conference USA's officials camp. You had worked across the industry officiating what you were mostly doing. I would like high school, I'm
1: guessing at that point, that's where you started. Yes, Sarah. It was high school. In my ninth season, my crew chief, Larry Tucker, he asked me to apply for the Junior College Association here in Mississippi. And In the world of officiating, it's the same as any corporation. You want to work your way up. Right. And so I told Tucker a couple of weeks later, I said, hey, I'm going to send in my application. He goes, don't do it. And I was like, you don't want me on your crew anymore? He goes, no. The assignment secretary said he would never hire you because you're a woman. And so I the just, junior colleges. Yes. And wow. so I said, well, forget it. I mean, if he, you know, I'm not going to go and prove myself as a woman. This job mm-hmm. is tough enough. And if he doesn't want me on my merit, then uh, I'm, I'm not going to apply. And so my 10th season, I had told them I was going to give it up wow. because Bridley had started playing organized sports at the time. And That's I had a three, yeah. my oldest, no, my son, Bridley's your my son. oldest. And I I had a three year old, Brady was three and, you know, I was just being torn. I I need to be home. And my mother is your true Southern Baptist (laughs) Mm -hmm. lady, you know, just thought I should be at home with my kids. And lo and behold, there was an NFL scout at a state championship, what I thought was my last game. And Dr. Joe Haynes, God rest his soul, um, he called me up and said, I think you've got what it takes. And he got me plugged in with Gerald Austin. Isn't it remarkable the the turns that our life takes if just the right people give that
0: opportunity? I mean it's it's there are so many women supporting other women, but if you live in a in a patriarchal society, if you live in a in a society where most of the decision makers, especially male dominated industries are men, we rely on male allies to make that big difference. Like that big step really can't be achieved by women just continuing to lift each other up and opening doors because there's always going to be a man at some door. And if they Absolutely. won't open it, that's it. That's it. And that's that it. that was almost it for you.
1: Yes. I tell Gerald Austin all the time. I'll just send him a random text and say, I just want to remind <laughs> you how thankful I am for you. I mean, he took a huge leap of faith. Uh, he didn't even know what I looked like. Um, he had never seen me work and him asking me a question about an audition. Uh, I went and worked a scrimmage game and him asking me about this play and he hires me over the phone. And I, I kid with Gerald and I say this all the time. I did. I said, I, I knew you were old, but see now too, you were making history. <laughs> and, and honest and honest to God, Sarah, I didn't know that there weren't any women in, in NCAA. I, I didn't. I went to a clinic that after Gerald had hired me in Reno, Nevada and some guys came up to me and they said, you're the first woman in NCAA. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. And then they were like, you're on the fast track to the NFL. And I'm like, can we just pump the brakes real quick? (laughs) I mean, I haven't, I haven't worked a down in NCAA seven men mechanics, but it is so true what you say about, yes, women are more and more supporting women. And I love that you see that more often, but I tell everybody, my mentors were men Mm -hmm. and they had walked this walk. And, and Gerald told me, I needed to tuck my hair, which, you know, I wasn't happy about it. But I said he was a white Caucasian male that had walked this walk and had seen the the first blacks that came in and how what they were, what they went through, and the scrutiny he was under. And so he just was trying to protect me, you know, and I, and I, I applaud him for that. Sometimes you have to play the game. Eventually you hope to be able to change
0: the game, but sometimes you have to play it first, otherwise you won't even get into the position of agency and power to make a difference. Um, So you get to to college. In 2007, you become the first woman to officiate a major college football game. It's Memphis, Jacksonville State. And as you start working those games, uh, you're asked about what it's like. And, And you said at one point, there hadn't been any challenges in being a female referee. Looking back, was that honest?
1: Or were you being strategic in keeping the focus on the work? Kind of like what you said. I don't want to say I was playing the game, but Sarah, the challenges for me was, you know, the the learning curve, the 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 rule book, the the college rule book, the seven man mechanics, the crew that I was able to work that first game with. I Chris Cockrell. He is like a brother to me. His his great uncle was Medgar Evers, mm. and he, yeah, I have chills just talking about it. And I was fortunate that I had him on my crew that first game because we'd worked high, high school together too. And he grabbed my hand when we were walking through the tunnel, and he said, "Do you realize what you're about to do?" And I said, "Yes, I'm going to work a football game." And he said, "You're so you, you know you're you're nuts."
0: Yeah,
1: but um, the challenges i have learned are usually from insecure people yeah that absolutely. will say say things behind your back to others but i just don't in, even entertain their stupidity and at some point they will reveal their ignorance and then i kind of capitalize on that i don't i don't keep a you know a grudge i don't have a chip on my shoulder i've got a job to do and if I'm constantly thinking about the ones that don't want me there, which sometimes has happened and they get in my head. And when they get in my head, I'm screwed. Right. So I just I just don't entertain them. I just I, I don't. But coming around, um, of course, there's going to be people in every occupation you do that don't believe you should be there. Or they've got something to say, but I, I just don't try to even think about them, entertain them. And if yeah. they have the guts to say it to my face, then we'll address it.
0: One of my favorites, uh, and I always mix up who said it because I love them all so much. Uh, I think it was Tina Fey, though, who said, never accept a no from someone who can't give you a yes. Meaning if they are not in any position to help open doors or make things better or easier, then just pay them no mind. They're going to be there. They're going to try to get in the way. But if they're not helping and they don't have any power, then why would you even pay attention to them?
1: It's that whole thing of why would you take their advice if you wouldn't go to them for advice? Right. Yes. You know what I mean?
0: So I just want to interrupt really quick to something that she's talking about here. And I do think there's this there's this saying, you know, never accept a no from somebody who can't give you a yes. And I just want to expand on that a little bit because I think there are believers and allies who will open doors. And you have to let those folks lead the way and not get bogged down by the ones who are doubters or detractors or the ones who don't believe that you belong. And that is really hard to do. And I say this as someone who early in my career had so many doubts about myself and whether I could hang with the guys and whether I belonged in the space. And so much of that was informed by the hatred and the harassment that I got and um, and, and you're going to feel that way even in industries where there, where there aren't tons of people sending you messages about how you shouldn't be allowed to talk about sports. I mean, that's going to happen in a regular job, but so it's amplified here. And I remember uh, one of the first uh, more notable gigs at ESPN that I got was not only Spain and Prim, which was the first all-female show, I think, on ESPN uh, radio. And we had a week, week, weekends, just Saturdays. But then the trifecta, which was not just three female hosts, but female producer and, and all that. And Jane McManus and Kate Fagan and I would talk about all sorts of things. And a lot of times we would dive into the bigger picture issues in sports. We really wanted to be able to hold ourselves to those conversations that needed to happen. And I remember we. Uh, one of the early shows we were making an analogy to the idea of women not being allowed to do something like be on an NFL staff. And we talked about all the spaces where women are not allowed and how few we assume that men do not belong, whether that's designing lingerie, delivering babies, advising women on healthcare choices. And I think I made a crack about how men run, you know, tampon companies, and yet uh, we, we are stuck on the spaces women are not allowed. And I remember someone told me they were standing in line at the ESPN CAF and a couple employees in front of them were saying, can you even believe that show on Saturdays, The Trifecta? It was on the radio when I was driving the other day and they were talking about tampons. And it was like this eye roll like that could sum up the entirety of our show was this one flippant comment that was meant to make a point and by the way, being so sensitive about tampons and periods. I mean, half of more than half of the uh, the world experiences that every month, so suck it up and grow up. But I remember hearing that and this shrugging and saying, you know what, I'm not going to let whoever those people are uh, be more important than the people who are putting us on the air and believing that we belong. Um, I remember Jay Mariotti, former ESPN employee, I don't know where he was even writing for at the time, but wrote a story and, and tweeted about how the show would never make it and no one wants to hear it. And instead of listening to them, I think we just had to to do the work. And that's how it's been since. And so I just wanted to take this little second to remind you that sometimes you just have to believe in the allies and the people opening doors and shut out the people um, that are pulling in the other direction, as hard as that is to do, because they don't serve you. You know, if they can't give you that, yes, don't let them give you that. No. All right, back to the interview. And then there are going to be people that are in positions of power and decision-making that you can't avoid. And that's when you have to stand up and have those those battles and, and get through Absolutely. it. But the ones that aren't actually in the way, they're just trying to dive in front of you and you can walk right over them and keep it moving. There's just no point. And that's something you have to learn, though. It's really hard when it you is. start doing something to ignore the people that have an opinion, even if they're not deserving of one and not internalize that. Um, and so I, I obviously agree. that's something you had to deal with.
1: Yeah, I, re- I was just having this discussion um, with Lachelle Nelson. Uh, she is an official in the Big Ten, and she's a black female. And uh, we are really close. And we were just talking about something she's going through. And I said, I've been there. And I remember one time I did a speaking engagement, and uh, this guy was asking me questions out there in the audience. And I'm like, who is this guy? And so there was a reporter there, and he wrote an article. And I get a phone call from Gerald about a week later and he goes, "Uh, did you say this? And and Sarah, I can't even remember what it was because I told Gerald I was like, I I don't even think that way. No. And it had gotten back to somebody. And here I am having to defend myself for something I didn't say. And that's the game It's like, that's what gets exhausting. Just let me work. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, for sure. so, you know, you mentioned the hair. So at first, he has you tuck the hair in the hat because you know, just then you look like everybody else from afar. What about the uniforms? One of the things I talked to Sam Rapaport about, and one of the things that interests me as women start moving into spaces that previously had been almost universally men, is the infrastructure or the details that most people don't think about. When I worked at a radio station here in Chicago. Um, they had the the audio for the shows piping through the men's bathroom so that if the host went to the bathroom, they could hear when the commercials were on, when things were coming back to, yeah. you know, they could rush back in or they could just hear the content and it didn't happen in the women's bathroom. So if I, I was the only woman that was on the air and it had been for 11 years. Uh, wow. And uh, so if I was in there, I was SOL, right? And so little things like that that you don't think about. And I remember talking to Sam about the uniforms. And when you started, uh, you were just wearing the same things
1: as all the guys, right? That's exactly right. And then the the NFL is the one that had them custom fit for me, which I just commend whoever it was that said, hey, she needs to have a a ladies fit because it's just, you you feel good, you you perform well, is how I've always had an approach. And you're exactly right. I, I hate it when I go to a restaurant and the women are wearing bow ties, or ties <laughs> and vests like the men are. I mean, there's something that the women can wear that are appro- that you know that are um, that's appropriate that is right. feminine.
0: Yeah, I, and it is about. It's not about fashion in the game. It's about comfort and yes. feeling appropriate for yourself. And I think um, a lot of people would understand that if if it if it was a guy and they said here wear like you know uh, short short nut huggers for the game, you'd be like that doesn't feel like me. Well, neither does wearing men's pants and shirt. I remember exactly. my um my aunt who actually um, just recently passed away. She was the first female chief of police in my hometown. And when she got to the um, police department, when she first joined it in the middle of the 1970s, they didn't have any women's clothes. So she had to wear male shoes, pants, top, everything. And there was no restroom. So she, there's no women's restroom in the, or locker room. So she had to show up at work every day in her uniform. And it wasn't until I think the nineties that some of that changed and it took so long. And so it's so silly how a detail like that can just make you uncomfortable and take your focus from the thing that you're trying to do.
1: Yep. I, uh, the locker rooms that's come, Oh, full circle. I mean, it's crazy. I've dressed in, a motor coach. I, um, (laughs) remember I went to a stadium in the league and the league's been great. I gave them feedback. They've been great. And I had to have it with, you know, randomly or drug tested. And so I, they have me in this, I don't even know what it was. It was not even a FEMA trailer, (laughs) but I go in there, there's not a toilet. So I'm like, how am I going to take a drug test? So I did walk out of there and I said, all right, something's got to give. And so they uh, booted the chain crew out of the locker room and I got their locker room. But now it's amazing to see female locker room at all the NFL stadiums. It's great. Yeah.
0: We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what's your favorite word? Please. Please. What a nice Southern word of you, Sarah. Please. Circa 1300 from the verb plaisen, to please or satisfy a deity or appease uh, from the old French and the Latin. And then in the mid 14th century, as an adjective, pleasant, uh, gratified, delighted, charmed, and the 14th century, satisfied or contented. Uh, Then it became a noun in the 15th century, pleaser, one who seeks to please. It's a good word. I probably don't use it enough. Speaking of great words,
1: you're going to learn today.
0: The word of the week is March. If you're listening to this live, it is the first day of March, which is both a month and a verb. Are they connected? Well, according to Dictionary.com, quote, the name March with a capital M is from the Latin word Martius, named after Mars, the Roman god of war. Martius was the name of the first month in the original Roman calendar, along with later January and then May and June. March is one of several months named after a god. And in ancient Rome, March with a capital M marked the start of the military campaign season which makes it very tempting to connect the word march, lowercase m, as march into battle, with the month. But to march comes from the old French, circa the 1580s, a measured and uniform walk, a regular advance of a body of persons in which they keep time with each other. And then in the 1600s, the sort of musical sense of a rhythmic composition, a march. So not connected, despite uh, feeling like it would be. Uh, March in Chicago, very much still winter. So I escaped to Arizona for some sun and some baseball, which again, not happening. So in a sentence, as we march into a new month with no agreement between MLB and the Players Union, Cubs fans like Sarah wonder if March will come and go without any baseball at all. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay. So you're in college, you're working your way up. Um, in 2013, you become a finalist uh, for a permanent NFL position. You work some scrimmages, you do some development stuff, some mini camps. And then two years later in 2015, you become the first permanent female official in NFL history. Um, you work your first game and you just, you just get started. I remember the the craziness around your arrival and how fantastic it was that for the most part, it felt like there wasn't
1: a ton of pushback. Did it feel that way to you? No. It didn't. I mean, again, learning, you know, your colleagues, and and it's still the, the, it's not the norm that there's a woman that's um, officiating football, especially in the NFL. And so once the guys, and especially one I'm close to now, and um, he told me, he said, it took about a year, year and a half, and we were on a crew together. And he told me, he said, Sarah, I was one of those guys, and I was like, "No joke." I mean, I told him (laughs) that I was like, "No joke." Yeah, I could tell, (laughs) right? But he said, "You're a remarkable mom." I mean, you love your family. You really dive into what you're doing, and it's it's not an overnight sensation. I mean, I take a lot of pride in what I'm doing. I don't feel those, Sarah. um, The pressure. Maybe I did it first. But I've learned, and I'm telling my kids this too, they're getting all of these accolades. And I said, remember you were having fun mm-hmm. when you got these honors. So don't put more pressure on you, trying to live up to other people's oh, expectations, so right. just go and have fun. And mm-hmm. and I have to tell myself that too.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned that he said, um, you know, he came around and realized you put a lot of work into it and a lot of focus, but he also pointed out your, your relation to your family. And I just don't think that's something anyone cares about if men are good at their job. I think he would never say to a male official, wow, you're, you're so great dad. at officiating, but I feel like you're you're kind of a deadbeat dad. And so I'm, I'm not gonna find you a good officiator, a, a, a good official. I'm not gonna uh, enjoy this relationship because I judge the other parts of your life, but that is something that is held uh, against you or is
1: something that you are held to a standard other people don't have to meet. You know, Sarah, do you think it's because Women that that go into a workforce, or you know, you have that. I, you, I've been told, you know, I've screwed my way to the top. And congrats, by the way, you must be good. <laughs> I well, this is what I said. I said I would not be doing all these reports if that was the case. I would right. be <laughs> sitting somewhere drinking umbrella drinks, right? <laughs> but but I, I wonder if men just sometimes think, is she here for other purposes? And right. again, right. you just have to go there. That's shallow minded yeah. Yeah. um but you know no I, I i agree with you they wouldn't be asking or men are thinking men, about hey, that yeah right
0: well and i think also it, it comes back to just our society's expectations of women as as child rearers and men as as career havers and the idea that it will affect children differently for their mother to be working in a way than their father even though we have endless studies about absentee dads and the effects of, of male leadership and everything else. Um, and you know that's something that you talked to Sam about on her podcast too. And I loved what you said about it because it reminded me so much of my mom. My mom is a lawyer and she's a partner in her practice with my dad. In fact, they initially left the first practice that they worked at because they wouldn't let my mom become a partner. Wow. They wanted yeah. her to not be a full-time lawyer there. And so my dad said, all right, let's get out of here. Let's start our own thing. And My mom couldn't come to a lot of stuff when I was growing up the way some of the other moms who didn't work could. And there was occasions where I was sad. There was occasions every once in a while where I would feel like, oh, this is a mother-daughter thing and my mom's not here. But more important, by a billion times, is what I learned from watching her be an equal to my dad in work and also do all these other things. And she still you know, cooked and wove blankets and ran 5Ks and made our uniforms and sewed our Halloween. You know, she did all the things and she did that. And that was so much more influential on me than if she'd been around for some silly spaghetti dinner that she missed.
1: Yep, I, uh, I your your parents sound amazing. And I think mm-hmm. that's because, you know, and you're a product of that, you can just tell. But I had to learn not to live up to other mothers' expectations of how I ran my house and, and and raise my kids. And I also learned to stop saying I'm sorry mm-hmm. to my, my boys at the time. Of course, Bailey, she's just come in and she's been here and I don't say I'm sorry. But mm-hmm. I just told them, I said, you know, I said, mom's got a job to do. And I said, and you've got a job to do. I'm just not going to be there. And so whenever we, whenever we come back to talk, I, we're going to talk about the good and, and things that we both need to work on. So I just learned to stop saying I'm sorry.
0: So you're, you're now earning at least, uh, thankfully, some of the um, acceptance of, of, of all of the peers, not just the ones that were on board from day one, but some of them that took a little bit longer. Um, tell me about the Christmas Eve game, because uh, this was a moment that maybe at first feels like a little tiny failure and eventually actually is more of a way to prove that you belong.
1: Yes, Sarah, it was uh, Christmas Eve. It was a bombing 29 degrees in Green Bay. The Vikings are playing the Packers and it was a busted play. And as a line of scrimmage official, I had to hold the line and make sure he doesn't go beyond it. And I didn't step back far enough uh, and he just slings it. And when he slings it, the receiver and the defender are right on top of me. And I mean, I crashed to the ground. I'm very fortunate that I didn't, you know, become injured more than I was, but I had a broken wrist and I knew something was wrong with my wrist. And when I got in that tunnel away from the cameras, I lost my religion. I I literally (laughs) said, you have got to be kidding me. The girl gets hit on Christmas Eve on national television. They go back, they X-ray me, they tell me that my wrist is broken. I look up and when I left the game, it was one side, it was only like seven minutes left to go. And there's like four minutes left in this game. And I said to the trainer, I said, put this splint on, I'm going back in this game. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't to prove people wrong because I was asked in my interview, what Mm -hmm. happens when you get hit? It was, I've learned this. We don't need to prove people wrong. We just need to prove that we belong out there. And I did, I went back through and I said, plus my parents are probably worried sick you know, what's (laughs) happened to her. But I did, I went and I finished the game. And um, of course, my my kids say, hey, mom, are you okay?" And I tell them I have a broken wrist and and they kind of had a funny. They said, you do know that you got run over by Rudolph on Christmas Eve because it was Kyle Rudolph and it was (laughs) Christmas Eve. (laughs) That's great. great. But but yeah, I mean,
0: at first you're like I was in the wrong position or I looked away and it's my fault. But then after that happens, you prove you're tough enough and you come back in and it becomes sort of a badge of honor.
1: Yes. And my crew, Scott Edwards was my deep wing. And he said, I was so happy to see you back. I was lost on the line of scrimmage because we don't have have alternates during regular season. And so he was so fortunate. And I had so many guys tell me, I know guys that would never come back in the game. And when you came back through that tunnel, it was like, hell yeah, here she is. So, yeah, yeah, it was like the badge of honor.
0: So in 2017, you get moved to down judge, and they changed the name of the position from head linesman to down judge so that it's more gender neutral. So let's just start. Let's back it up for those who don't know. Can you sort of briefly explain the officials on the field and and their roles? So the
1: white hat crew chief is your referee, um, and he's in the offensive backfield. The umpire is also in the offensive backfield. They moved him from the defensive backfield, I guess, I, I don't know how long ago, probably eight or nine, ten years ago. And then the line of scrimmage, line judge is one, head linesman was the other. And then you have your deep wing, side judge, field judge, and then the back judge. And so, yeah, the line of scrimmage, line judge, head linesman, and then they did change it to down judge. Down judge. I love that mm-hmm. just and not presumably by your asking
0: they just thought oh this doesn't make sense for Sarah to be a yeah. linesman."
1: <laughs> yeah and I and I tip my hat to them for that. I you know I'm grateful but Sarah I tell everybody it doesn't matter what digits are on my back or initials right. are on my back. It it doesn't help at, you know fourth and inches at the goal line. So but <laughs> right, I, right. I, I there is an important message behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of how do you do you get to choose your number or do they Uh, We got to choose ours. Um, They they send out the ones that are available. And when I got into the developmental program, I was 153. Mm -hmm. So when the numbers come out, number two, that was the jersey number my boys were wearing and they wanted me to pick two, but it had already been taken. So 53 was sitting there and I just said, take the one off of it. Give me 53. So that's how I ended up with 53.
0: Nice. Um, So when you talk about those those roles on the field, um, it works from line up to uh, referee. Yes.
1: Yes. So the white hat, a lot of the guys that are in the league, they were white hats, crew chiefs in college. And I believe only once in NFL history that a white hat from college came on board as a white hat in the NFL. Most of them come in at different positions and then they train them to become a crew chief. But I have no desire to do that. Oh, really? I I just, I don't. I I said I had a hard time managing one man. I don't imagine managing, you know, (laughs) seven or eight others. Um, There are more and more women that are getting involved, but I just don't. I mean, you know, I think this is where I I know my limits to say no. Right, and you just
0: want to enjoy and work on the thing that you enjoy as opposed to necessarily looking to achieve more just for the sake of ambition's sake that's right yeah. i love
1: where i am i love what i'm doing
0: um so we talked about in 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 um in the college level that you played the game a little bit in just keeping the focus on the work and less on being different or standing out or the challenges mm-hmm. how have you felt at the nfl level in in the opportunities that you've had to speak about it um the speaking engagements the interviews do you do you try to find a balance between just talking about the work and being honest about how the experience has been, or are you still sort of, you know, having a strategy
1: about kind of just not wanting to, to share when things are tough? No, Sarah. Of course, not at all. I, I mean, I'm telling you, Roger Goodell and Sam Rappaport, um, and just the staff at the league office. I, they, they have, you know, when I first got in, it was, I. You know, I'd gotten burned on somebody saying I had said something in that one article. And so um, I'm very neutral when it comes to any players, any coaches, any certain plays. And that's just right. the, that's that is what we should do. Right. I mean, that's just what we should do. But no, I am able to be honest. But again, that comes with your experience and how you do carry yourself. I am not controversial. I don't like that. But if you challenge me on something, I don't mind being bold and honest Mm -hmm. and putting it in your place. And I respect people that would do the same for me, but no, I am able to be honest about my experience. And, And the league has been phenomenal. When Sam Rappaport called me my fourth season and she said, did someone in the NFL tell you, you have to tuck your hair? I said, no, they didn't. I'm just a creature of habit. And more and more women are getting into officiating. And I don't like how it looks Um, with the hair out of a fitted hat. And so she sent me adjustables and that's why my hair's out. Yeah. Now you got the ponytail,
0: which I love. It It feels more right. It feels more right than the tuck. tuck. Um, Well, so if you're not really allowed to speak on players, coaches and stuff, does that mean you can't speak on rules? Because I really want to hear your take on the fumble touchback rule. Oh, well... Just you can shoot it to me and ask me, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Okay, well, so for those who don't know, if an offensive player fumbles the ball and it goes out of bounds in the end zone of the opponent that they're trying to reach to score a touchdown, the team that was on defense defending that end zone now gets to take the ball on the 20-yard line. Now, this is completely different than any other time if you fumble the football out of bounds, any other part of the field where you retain possession and you just have the ball placed where it crossed. Now, you're not going to place the ball in the end zone because then you're rewarding someone for for a fumble, but you could easily have a 15 or 20 yard penalty or something so that the risk of extending over the end zone and fumbling is still a risk, but you don't just give the ball to the other team. They didn't get the ball. They didn't get possession. It's the
1: dumbest rule in all of (laughs) sports, Sarah. You know what? They do ask us, Sarah, sometimes to give our feedback on certain rules, you know, uh, when the competition committee gets together. So I may have to suggest that one and say it's coming from a Sarah, maybe not Sarah Thomas, but I will tell you
0: important Sarah in the world has a real problem with this rule
1: and yeah. You got it. I will (laughs) tell you, not always does it become a touchback because if it's a fourth down and they fumble it in the field of play, it comes back to the spot of the fumble or under two minutes. Right. So but yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there you go
0: punish them in a reasonable way. Taking away the ball when the other team never got possession just seems absurd to me. I hate that rule. Okay. Can I ask how you feel about the sky judge?
1: Yeah. You know, I am, we, we we want to get the game right. Every one of us on that field and replay want to get it right. So if there is some type of technology that is there, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, let's, I mean, we, we, pride ourselves on our mechanics and position. And I'm telling you, there was one game Helen Keller could have seen that it was an interception, (laughs) but we both ruled it was an interception. And great players make great plays. And it just seemed he was so far on the white, but I stayed up a little too long looking at the contact as opposed to getting to the feet. And if we have something like that, they're able to look at it, so it doesn't bother me. And it happens so rarely right if there's an obvious
0: mistake that everyone at home can see and the replay official could be empowered to change it that's going to be a much better solution in my opinion for the league than endless bloviating gas bags like yours truly on our shows talking about how we got it wrong and do we need robot officials or whatever else just have that opportunity okay all right sure. so we yep. agree on that one let's talk about the Super Bowl you get the call- up to work the Super Bowl which is incredible and entirely merit based for those who don't know you get scored throughout the season and then The best officials are the ones who are honored with this uh, opportunity. So tell me what that was like. Did it feel particularly different for you? Because the players always say it's just the spectacle, the extra long halftime, everything else. It just feels different.
1: Yeah. uh, When I got the call, I was just, uh, you know, I pulled off the side of the road. It was Wayne Mackey, who I just uh, look up to. And um, we were talking about a divisional game and some things that were going on in it. And then he said, well, you're going to nail everything when you work the Super Bowl. As down judge in Super Bowl fifty five, <laughs> and I was like, "This is fabulous!" And then, you know, all things COVID that year. Then I'm dodging COVID, and yeah, like the players say, it's um, just, uh, you know, I guess it's uh, it's entertainment the whole mm-hmm. week. But with COVID, we didn't have that. And Sarah, from our standpoint, we take it on as every Sunday is a Super Bowl. It matters. Every snap matters between snap. It matters. And I'm grateful I was on that crew and we would say that we would say, hey, today's our Super Bowl. And so we work it like it's another game. We realize the magnitude of it and let the players play. And um, I I don't think I had a different take on it. I was just, you know, I loved our crew that we worked the Super Bowl. We did an elite job and um, it was it was just another game
0: yeah but you got a ring for it which i didn't know until i met you that day in the bar that the officials that work the super bowl get a ring um it's specific to officiating it's not the ring of the winning team it's more a ring that's about having been a participant but um at first you were going to pass on it because you're like i'm not wearing this giant ring that that's just absurd for me and they ended up making you a special one so you have the very first ever
1: ring of its kind that's so cool it is so cool whenever sarah d'angelo called me because I, I was going to just get, you know, a couple, I guess you can't get the exact one for my kids, but I was going to get one made for them. Right. And then she said, Sarah, they said they would work with you and design one for you. And I thought, heck yeah. Awesome. And I and when I got it, I was like, I don't know if I'm really going to wear it. Well, I don't, I don't ever take it all, Sarah. I don't ever take it all. <laughs> do you have it on now? I do. Let me see it I again. Do.
0: it's so badass because it's it's appropriate size and it's still really cool um yeah i wouldn't take it off either hell no that's so cool (laughs) um okay so quick speed round uh because we're running out of time here okay you've got three kids uh which part of your job excites them the most
1: me being able to get them to training camps if they're able to go training camps uh meeting the players i mean they're your typical kids you know i mean they 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 follow players um i don't believe Who's they have team? A, to get to a team i, I, no, I don't, don't believe that they do yeah they, yeah seattle they like seattle um the bucks but uh you know they just really follow the players yeah that sounds like
0: this generation uh more and more yeah. it's it's specific players okay so you could have an off day before or after working a game in any city which is your fave Oh gosh, it was
1: San Diego, but they're no longer there. Yeah, um, I would say Miami.
0: Miami is a good one. Uh, what's What's the place that's the hardest to work a game?
1: I, I don't think any of them are the hardest. From my standpoint, the hardest to get into travel yeah. wise, you know, Green Bay is pretty tough from yeah. Mississippi. But you know, there's there's no environment that's too tough. Um, I did love the Oakland, the old Oakland Stadium, and. When you saw the black hole and just how they treat us, you know, come when yeah. we walk by, there's just the history that is with that that stadium I just loved.
0: Is there a coach uh, head or assistant or otherwise that
1: you um, felt particularly welcomed by? Um, it's a profession, Sarah. it really is. and uh, I, I, I don't know that anybody just went out of their way. Um, and just was over the top. They just looked at me as I was another official. Training camps, you would hear, um, I have two daughters. It's it's great to see you on the field. I had an assistant coach at the Giants, I, I don't know his name, but he came up to me my second season and he said, because of you, my daughters now think they know more about football than I do, but um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, what about players that you particularly love, you know, seeing on, on a weekend or that are, have been welcoming? They they all have,
1: Sarah, I'm telling you, they they That's have, so um, um, you know, I say they have daughters, they have moms, they have grandmoms. I mean, and, you know, Marshawn Lynch, uh, he came mm-hmm. up to me when I was in the ODP, and, of course, he's retired now, but um, he was one of the most respectful and yeah. Uh, just, uh, yeah. I, I think also, um, uh, you know, it's
0: probably pregame is when you're more likely to have a quick chat and that's what everybody's feeling good i don't know if heat of yeah. the moment if they're always nice if you, what about heat of the moment you make a call someone doesn't
1: like yeah you know what i take it back to my my athletic years i i <laughs> hated the official sarah ditto, I, I did ditto, oh, of course I, it's like i, I, I never found anyone in my life yeah i'm like <laughs> i see you you don't have to blow the whistle every time i go up to block a shot i didn't touch her um so i take it back to my days you know if if i i let them express uh, you know, their passion for it. Uh, Julian Edelman one time mm. told me I needed some blank glasses. Uh-huh. And uh, he's retired and he saw me and he said, well, who's, you know, heckling you? And I said, well, nobody did it better than you. So I said, right. I cannot believe you've officially retired. But yeah, I let them express it and you just move on. Um, Okay, last couple for you. I'm curious about the feedback you've
0: gotten from girls or women, whether it's getting into officiating more, playing more. There is a new uh, second female official in the NFL, Maya Chaka, who you're friends with and you know. Um, But what about um, from the outside world? Do you get a lot of people reaching out to say that there's an increased interest?
1: Yes, Sarah, I do. And, And I absolutely love it. My biggest message to them though, is do not get into this to be a first or to do it for the recognition, uh, you, you just you won't survive. But if you have a passion for it, because yeah. it's tough, it's a tough job. Mm-hmm. And I do. And I've um, I'm working some with some major league baseball female scouts. And, and we've been talking and just the NBA. And there's a lot of females that are in in the NBA. And so I, I love being able to give my honest feedback. And and like you said, the infrastructure and the, the small things that um, people are asking me what matters and, and to make them comfortable, to make sure that they're prepared mm-hmm. on game day and don't have to worry about the stupid stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. And I love uh, mindsets of, of females that are reaching out. Corporations, I, I, j- I just love it.
0: You, um, You obviously got into it because of your passion, but because you were the first, you've gotten a lot of recognition for that. You've become this very prominent female face in a predominantly male league and workplace. And I wonder how you balance fitting in with being active behind the scenes to make changes when needed when it comes to stuff like gender equity and treatment.
1: Sarah, I believe the guys do know that I'm doing this for the same reason they're doing it. And I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything. I'm not gonna blow smoke up somebody's skirt. I'm gonna be straightforward and honest because I would do them and the females a disservice. And my biggest thing that I'm, I'm saying now is diversity is, is great. And I, I, I do believe that at times we get into checking a box and I don't want that. And the inclusion is where there's the lack of. And I believe that's maybe the confidence in some minorities that are getting in and uh, you hear I've been here for 20 years and they still don't feel like they're included. And I just go, we've got to trust the people that hire other officials and know that, you know, they hire them for a reason. And once you're hired, you, you need to have the mindset that you can pull your chair up to that boardroom table and be included. And it's just the competence equals confidence. You've got to believe in the reasons you're there. Dive deep. You're going to fail some of my best. You know, maybe I don't know if it's Billie Jean King, but use failure as feedback. Right. And you yes. just got to keep going.
0: Well, I, you know, I've been really heartened by some of the incredible women that I've seen taking on bigger and better roles in the league. Um, and I loved that so much of the Bucs staff was female and, yes. you know, Low Locust is so great. I'm obsessed with Sam Rapaport. I talk about it all the time. And, you know, it, it makes it easier for me to balance, I think, the frustrations I still have with the NFL, including things like looking at Washington's workplace and what just happened with the Cowboys and feeling like it's just does no one care and why doesn't this stuff get reconciled in a way that feel satisfactory. And then I also look to the people that are working at, at the teams and at the league level that are working so hard behind the scenes. And I have to sort of hope and pray that they're still doing that work and we just can't see it every day to get closer to where those things won't feel difficult for, for women to want to follow and watch the league and love it.
1: I am just like you when it comes to Sam Rappaport. I'm telling you, she is amazing at her leadership and, and just what she believes in. And Roger Goodell, trust her just um, and they're putting their money where their mouth is. I'm telling you, Sarah, there's a lot of things behind the scene that I don't even know. But I can tell you that it's a mission um, and the NFL is doing it right. And it may just not go as speedy as we we think. And um, again, I don't have all the answers, but Sam Rappaport and what Roger Goodell is doing, you're seeing more and more changes.
0: Yeah. All right, before I let you go, you have to do the one thing everybody does and nobody expects. I didn't expect
1: a kind of Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Nobody expects the Spanish
0: Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current career is canceled. What job do you do instead? Stay at home mom. I do
1: believe that as an occupation. Yeah. Uh, Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Oh, gosh, I guess during a nightmare when I thought there were spiders in my bed, that's pretty scary. Okay, I
0: have a recurring nightmare that there's a spider that's at least a foot wide coming down over my bed onto my face. Like, still, I've had it my entire life. I have to turn the lights on and get out of the bed. Yep. And not once yet has there been a foot wide spider above me.
1: I will and get I still, up and pound time, the bed. I'll, yes. I'll start hitting the bed as I'm getting out. Yes, that's, that's My husband's I'm like favorite. used to it by
0: now. He's like, spider again? Or was it the intruder? It's one of the two. I'm like, there's either an intruder in the room or a spider. Uh, something must have happened as a child yep. involving a large spider. Um, number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Mm, best thing in the world? um a mom should you know i'd yeah would love to love to nail it for for one day be the best but the answer to uh, think yeah for them to think that even more important uh number four what current celebrity from music politics tv or sports would you most like to be your best friend denzel
1: washington interesting have you met him yes and he's just have. fabulous he is He absolutely is. Love to hear that. Uh, Number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? Oh, gosh. Um, When people say, I'm sorry, before they start a comment or (laughs) ask a question. Like, I'm sorry, but. Oh. (laughs) Uh,
0: Number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been?
1: Um, I have to say it was when I fell down in the dome in New Orleans, uh, that was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it yep. will happen. Uh, number seven,
0: what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? My waistline. <laughs> <laughs> number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Oh, uh, John Mayer. That's a good one. Uh, number
1: nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure. Probably not going to law school. Interesting, but it all worked out. Yeah. Number 10,
0: what three individual words would you most hope people would use to describe you? She's very authentic. Ooh, I love that. Authenticity is the key to everything. <laughs> yep. um, okay, Sarah, who should I have on this podcast? Bonus question it could be from any industry, anyone I would find interesting.
1: Um, I don't know if you've had Sam Rapaport, but I would highly oh, I recommend have. her. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: um, Bruce Arians. Oh, I would love Bruce Arians. He would be a really interesting one. He's yeah. he's great. He you talk about a straight shooter, and he yeah. sees stripes, and he is like I said, he leaps and bounds ahead of hiring female officials. Yep. Yeah, and he and he, I, I referenced Dot Eastwood Murphy. Yeah, he coached at Mississippi State, and they know each other very well. He's got he's got a long yeah history with uh, female coaches.
0: Female coaches, yeah, that would be a great one. All right, well, uh, you know him, so I guess you're going to make the introduction, and we'll make that happen. Now that the season's over, there we go. Sarah, this is so great. I love talking to you. We still got to figure out the uh, off day in some city where where we hang. We've got to fun. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's what she said. Oh yeah, one more thing. So this is going to be a place for rants and raves and everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain about something. Sometimes I'll share a story that I read that I thought you should check out. Whatever's on my mind. So today I'm assigning you some homework, listening and reading. First, I'm sending you to a favorite podcast of mine, Glennon Doyle's We Can Do Hard Things. Uh, a recent episode was a double date with Glennon and her wife, Abby Wambach, and the dynamic duo of Megan Rapino and Sue Bird. And it was so excellent, really worth a listen. There was fun stuff, of course, about how Sue and Megan met and what they fight over and you know all the good stuff. But the last fifteen minutes really hit for me as they were discussing their roles in advancing female athletes in women's sports and uh, retiring and the potential to make more money and be more successful, um, outside of the sport that you play, even though all of that success is derived from that sport. And that weird kind of reconciliation of the thing that you're the best at and that you've succeeded at so much paying you so little when the idea of who you are because of that can pay so much when you're done. Um, They also talk about rejecting the conditioning and expectations of today's world and choosing to live in a future where women are celebrated for their greatness, admired the way, say, male athletes are for flash and attitude and skill and, you know, all the stuff that feels so long overdue to reject today and just go start living in the future and tell people to catch up. Uh, even if it pisses some people off, just go listen. It's it's so, so, so good. Uh, and then follow it up by reading a piece by former guest friend of the show, David Berry, B-E-R-R-I, uh, on the moving goalpost used when people discuss sports. Men versus women, the greatest of all time, attendance, profit, all of it. He really succinctly and logically gets into so many of the things that stand in the way of the opportunities for women's sports. Goodmenproject.com is the website And who are the best in sports? If your answer doesn't include women, you don't know sports, is the headline. David Berry, B-E-R-R-I. Go read it. Don't forget, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you have guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas, or more. And you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe and follow. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Rate it, five stars, please. And give me a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.